0: The following episode contains descriptions of colonial and racist violence. And welcome to Ninety Nine Questions, where we try to decipher current discussions around restitution, colonialism, and the relationship between museums and civic societies. I'm your host, Vivian. And yes, you've heard right—we're accompanying the Ninety Nine Questions discussion series at the Humboldt Forum. In the Ninety Nine Questions podcast, we will give you more insight by providing you with interviews and conversations featuring guests from all walks of life, whose expertise work, and interests are connected to our podcast. This conversation is the second part of our double episode on Germany's colonial crimes in Namibia and Tanzania. I welcome you, Dr. Zoe Zamuzzi and Keflin Bumani. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much for having us. Really glad to be here. Thank you for having us.
0: Zoe Zamuzzi is a sociologist with a PhD in medical sociology from the University of California, San Francisco. Her work focuses on German coloniality European Biomedicine and Racemaking, and the 1904-1908 Ova e Herero and Nama Genocide. She's also an art writer whose work has appeared in Art in America, Art Forum, The New Inquiry, The New Republic, and other outlets, and she's a contributing writer at Jewish Currents. Our second guest, Kathleen Bumani, is a cultural curator, connector, and visual artist. Kathleen makes work that is multidisciplinary and research-based, rooted in cultural history and archives. She explores many themes, but is particularly concerned with the history and impact of German colonialism in Tanzania. So I'm going to start with the first question. Recently, the German government issued a public statement on the genocide of the Herero and Nama. In our preliminary talk, we talked about how this non-apology is characteristic of the incomplete and distorted narrative of Germany's colonial history. Of course, this is only one component of the German colonial project. Maybe you could touch on some of the points and break it down for our listeners.
1: Yeah, I can I can mm-hmm. start with this with question. I think the reason that what Germany considers to be an apology was so incomplete is the way that history is so fragmented. There's a complete disconnection between what Germany did in the colony in German Southwest Africa, present-day Namibia. They killed what was it, seventy-five, eighty percent of the Oveherero and like half of the Nama. There's no um, connection between German coloniality in on the continent, what they did um, in other parts of Africa, as well as the genocide that it committed in Europe, right? The genocide that actually is acknowledged. There's no Mm -hmm. understanding of the ways that colonial logics, colonial racecraft, eugenics, anti-Black racism, anti-Semitism, all of these things are not only connected, but they're kind of continuous throughout German history. So the incompleteness is both in this auditing and evaluation and understanding of history, but it's also in um, a rejection of the things that the Ovojero and Nama people have actually been requesting, which is, you know, they want reparation, because there's no kind of atoning and accounting for genocide without a move to actually attempt to repair something. Right. And and if we're going to do a good apology, the apology kind of has to be done on the terms of the person who is wronged rather than mm-hmm. the kinds of confessions, you know, made by the person who, who committed the wrongdoing.
0: Continuing the conversation from the last episode, I wanted to pick up again on the recent government statements on the German genocide against the Ova Herero in Um, Kathleen, do you um, just do you want to join in?
2: Yes, definitely. I can piggyback on, it seems like with Germany, it's, you know, the moment they have at least an inkling of like this happened or this admission, it feels like it's enough. And the great German PR machine, it's, it's this idea of just like, yeah, if you do engage with the conversation, like it's like they try engage and that's it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's like, well, we're, we're working towards it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's that's just that's how I feel when it comes to like Germany and their colonial past.
0: Just listening to both of you, I I thought about like who curates the narrative of the genocide against the Herero and Nama and why and also playing into that question, I thought about what you said um Kathleen because just like Germany's statement or Germany's position Right now, it's like, we're doing something. Why are you complaining, in a way? Mm. And I think this is just a very superficial way of dealing with said history and also a form of um, like gaslighting um, uh, the people or the, the descendants of the Ovaherero Ove- and Nama, for example. Do you agree, or what is your take on that?
2: It's gaslighting of the Ovaherero of the Nama, of people in Togo, of people in mm-hmm. Cameroon, of people in Rwanda, in Burundi, and present-day Tanzania, as in, you know, in terms of like, if I look at all the German colonies, Namibia, the Ovarero and Nama have from the forefront been very vocal with exactly how they want to be treated and how they want these, like the conversation to move forward. If I if I am to look like at across as me being from like a German colony I look towards Namibia because since the Versailles Treaty they have been very very um, adamant and very clear of of what of what they want and what they expect back as mm-hmm. opposed to in Tanzania or Burundi or Rwanda like if you you know bringing up German colonialism is it, 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 it's a non-starter of a conversation right Mm -hmm. So even as someone else looking at the plight of the Barrera and Nama and then you see the gaslighting that happens on the opposing end, as in, I think Zoe can talk as in when it comes to reparations, they have been very specific. Mm -hmm. But Germany does this thing of, it does this diplomatic dance whereby it goes, it, it like, I mean, she gets into bed with our government. Who are now oppressing us, and then it, it takes the same colonial paternal approach of like and then will you know the government will decide what you like how to disperse these funds or whatever it is they're offering at the moment so and and in and, and in that instance, this little diplomatic dance that seems to be innocent is to me even more sinister
1: yeah i I completely agree. Kathleen and I think what she's describing this bilateral interaction between the German government um, and the Namibian government or or any of these other governments at the expense of the specific indigenous communities you know it speaks to the way that the stakes of what is being discussed is is manipulated right so obviously in Germany there's been the long ongoing um, historical The the historian's debate. So the stakes of this whole debate and conversation in Germany are stakes between these white academics who are are making these kind of totalizing claims about how Mm -hmm. German historiography and violence and colonialism are supposed to be understood. And so absent from this conversation that is happening between all of these white historians, are the are the, the the descendants of survivors are the affected affected communities are the people who both have and have not been very very clear about what they want but what is frustrating is that there's not even kind of a concern or consideration about the fact that those people are being excluded it's only now that people are beginning to consider mm-hmm. to invite them to the conversation but that's you know an afterthought and this has been you know years and years and years and years of pressure um,
0: yeah, um, it's in German. We have a great term for some for politics like this. Um, it's called Trostpflaster which is roughly translated to um, consolation, like plaster, like consolation money. During last year, especially in the wake of the uprisings that spread globally after the murder of George Floyd, some Germans showed a basic understanding of systemic anti-blackness in the US and recognized that racist statues and monuments needed to be toppled down. However, streets and places named after colonial perpetrators are also examples of colonial continuities in Germany, as they are still standing today. I think there's this divergence between the positive narrative of Germany's culture of memory outside of Germany and the actual reality, which in my opinion is a state of cultural amnesia. I wondered what Kathleen might think about this.
2: I think, (laughs) I mean, why does Germany? Because it's easier, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's easier. You know, it's, it's a thing that. I am constantly unpacking myself, you know, as a Tanzanian person Mm -hmm. in this idea, you know, we had the British as, you know, we had the Germans and then the British. So it's always like, ah, why why are you going back to like this idea of like Germany? But Germany... Is not interested in move in in any form of remembrance or reparations. As in as far as I'm concerned, Germany is apologetic for what happened in World War II and that's it. Mm-hmm. This is from my standpoint. So this everything else is just fluff. <laughs> it is in it's fluff, but it's 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 very disconcerting because then there's, you know, there's there's no moving forward you know for me as someone who's always dealing with this subject it's like i'm always i'm always attacked you know by fellow mm-hmm. by afro-europeans who are experienced here and it's mm-hmm. always like you know what i feel like you are bringing your african american experience and then and i'm like yes sure but i'm from a german colony and then you know i've mentioned this before then the conversation ends but even mm-hmm. recent lately i I I had drinks with a friend who's in town and she had a friend from Austria and, you know, she tried to like defend this idea of like, basically, let's just talk about racism in Germany. Mm -hmm. And she Mm -hmm. was like, you know, I think when you're in the US, you're just used to, you're not used to being in in spaces that are all white, right? Mm -hmm. And she's like, so here, I think us as Afro-Europeans, we're just used to it. So we're not so bothered by it. And and, and you know, yes, exactly. Yes. This is
0: very interesting because I don't agree at all. And
2: I was born and raised in Germany. In what universe,
1: do, do black people in America, are they not used to being the only yeah. black person in the state?
2: This is the thing. But this, you know, this is the idea because I think they look at the proliferation of like black creativity in terms of like, you know, America's mm-hmm. biggest. Um, Export is pop culture. So they mm-hmm. assume everywhere you go, you're just fine being black. But mm-hmm. then it's like, it's, but you know, to that is that, is, is this, for me, it was like, no, you need to understand that those spaces were designed to keep you out of it. So yes. like, and, but then if you do not look into Germany's history with black bodies, you can't come to that kind of realization of like, this is not just the way it is. It's designed this way, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you can't systemically pick apart racism in Germany, it makes it so hard to even try, like, break it down. Like, this exists here and it's for a reason. It's not that it's a majority white country, so it's the United States, you know, Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, white supremacy. So... uh, Instead, you just see that, again, that lack of looking within, like looking into like, okay, I'm in Germany now. Let's say I am of Ghanaian descent. Let me just look at the way Germany has treated Black people. Mm -hmm. And that's not there. And so then there's this import of like language from the U.S., without even Mm -hmm. looking within to see that actually these dynamics exist in this very same place in the same way and probably even more exacerbated because it's not even talked about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel a lot of what you were describing. um, Yeah. But I, uh, I think Zoe also wants to
1: comment on that. Yeah. I mean, I think again, Kathleen is right, Mm -hmm. but I think that what is, what is so damning about, the way that Germany understands memory is that Germany is willing to talk about Nazism because Germany understands Nazism as being a break from normal German mm-hmm. politics, right? right? That that everything you know that colonialism. We're not going to talk about the fact that it happened, but okay, fine, it happened. And then you had Weimar Germany, and then the Nazis came in in 33, and then from 1933 to 1935, there was what you describe as the civilizational rupture. And so the Nazis represent this this this, this national anomaly, this unprecedented genocide mm-hmm. that has no has no no precedent and nothing that could ever follow it. Right? It's this moment that is outside of German history. So it's willing to make amends for this thing that happened, not to say it happened on accident, but this thing that is so outside of the imagination that it could never happen again. Mm-hmm. as opposed to rather understanding the relationship between german colonial violence in um in the african continent and in the pacific and understanding the ways that empire mm-hmm. in africa really informed mm-hmm. how how germany established relationships with um East, uh, with with communities in eastern europe and with different racialized or political communities uh within germany mm-hmm. there's just there's no understanding of how all of this history is related to each other and it's just rather this bad thing this horrific thing happened mm-hmm. and because it is such a divergence from what germany is and has ever been we have to make a we have to make amends for this moment but if germany were to honestly recognize what happened, mm-hmm. what it did in Africa, what it did in the Pacific, mm-hmm. it would be forced to, to also understand what it is doing in the present to, to minoritized communities, so what it is doing to black Germany, to, 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 to black Germans in the present, right? What it did to the mixed-race German children that were sterilized by the mm-hmm. Nazis, yeah. what it did to disabled people, how it talks about refugees and, and immigrants, how it talks about Roma people, how Roma people aren't even a part of Holocaust memory, right? It mm-hmm. would really expand the boundaries of who is allowed to participate in conversations about the German state, um, and it would force a real, um, deeply uncomfortable reckoning, right? With the Absolutely, of mm-hmm. state violence.
0: What Zoe carefully described fits right into my own experience as a black person that was born and raised by African refugees in Germany. The way the Germans planned, strategized, and implemented genocides against the Ovaherero and Nama people in Namibia, but also other African countries and colonies in the Pacific, from pretty much the pre-work for what later followed during the Shoah. Um, do you want to comment further, Zoe, or should I um, go to the next um, statement or question? I did also just want to say
1: one thing um, mm-hmm. with the ways that the debate. Have been going on recently. I mean, there is a historian, Dirk Moses, who recently wrote a thing about, you know, the, the way that the Holocaust is understood in historical memory. He describes it as kind of this religious orthodoxy and anyone who kind of rejects this, um, exceptional narrative is understood as, as a, as a heretic. Mm-hmm. And what I found really interesting, um, about the responses to this kind of series, um, of, of responses um, that were kind of curated by this wonderful historian Jennifer Evans on this website that she runs is is the way that the kind of detractors or the people who who rejected our position that memory should be, you know, in the words of Michael Rothberg, directional and expansive, that none of the people who were disagreeing with anything that we had written actually really seemed to read anything that we had written. And there was a piece recently that came out mm-hmm. Um, I think in like Jungle World or some magazine that was incredibly racist. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, this, this attempt to make history inclusive is just this kind of paternalistic racism from the left. And mm-hmm. it was so telling to me that, and, and they also were just like, and it's anti-Semitic and it's anti-Zionist and it wants to destroy Israel. That it was like in that moment of trying to mischaracterize and, and re- reject this, mm-hmm. this historical project. Mm-hmm. They were so willing to completely ignore the different positions that were taken up by Jewish people in that yeah. specific series that were trying to think about, um, suffering and Palestine and um, you know, German Jewishness and Jewishness in all of these different ways. Um, and, and and a number of them really were really rejecting this idea that in order to think about other people who are wronged by Germany, it necessarily means that you are Displacing the the the, the history of, mm-hmm. of of the Nazi Holocaust, right? Like, mm-hmm. but it's not competitive, right? We can talk about the necessity for Germany to continue to be vigilant about anti-Semitism because Germany mm-hmm. is not that great about doing anything about anti-Semitism, other than just describing people who are taking these post uh, these, these anti-colonial post-colonial positions, whatever, mm-hmm. as anti-Semites, or saying that Germany has done things to other people in addition to what was done during world war ii um so i think you know the response has really been not to take people's arguments on their own terms but to kind of use these claims of anti-semitism of anti-zionism um of 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 george orwellian historical revisionism because Mm -hmm. they're so afraid of what it means when the boundaries of memory and the participation in public memory are forcibly open. Because we know that white Germans won't do it unless we force them to.
0: They won't. They definitely won't.
1: <laughs> they w-
2: definitely won't. But I wanted to also add on, you know, there's this, mm-hmm. um in terms of like n- renaming streets and places, like I'm always like, please do not. Like in terms of Germany, I'm like... Mm-hmm no because how do i prove this really happened you know mm-hmm. it's it's like it's like <laughs> like i can understand in the united states you want to take that yes because the history's there it's known they cannot turn away from it you know and the us is doing this thing of having to face it but in germany if you start renaming the streets and you start renaming like these shopping centers that are named after these colonialists, then how do I prove this thing happened and it was glorified, right? So I'm always mm. like, no, I don't think renaming, because that renaming gives them that ticket to just, it's erasure now. Mm, because it I, hasn't even, I'm sorry, even.
0: No, no, I just, i I, I was just, I... I was just expressing that I'm agreeing with you because I never thought about this before from that perspective, but I see, I totally see what you mean.
2: Yeah, especially like specifically to like Germany, you know, Um, I was talking to a friend the other day and they're like, do you want to go to this place? There's this big statue of Bismarck. And I just smiled and I was like, I can go to my village. There's the same thing, (laughs) you know, and 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 the person was, you know, the look on their face. And I'm like, yeah, but this, you know, we haven't even gotten there yet. So Mm -hmm. please let's not rename the streets and the statues. Let's 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 find out why these people were given this kind of reverence. Like, you who know? even yeah. are these people? Yeah. Exactly. And then there, yeah. it's like, that gives you a mirror into what Germany is. And that's kind of, I'm, I'm more interested in that kind of a project as opposed to just like, oh, let's rename it. No, not not in the German context. Like, there's still so much that needs to be brought forward, in my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. I never thought about the case for or against renaming streets from Kathleen's perspective, but I definitely see where she's coming from. There's such a lack of historical and political education about Germany's colonial interferences and gruesome violence in its former colonies, and renaming streets without proper context leads to a quote-unquote photoshopping of German history. It absolves them from all responsibility and accountability.
2: It's, it's, it's an inquiry, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything, like my whole project is what happened, (laughs) why, where, right? So I, I tend to lean on things that you, like I tend, like my evidence is, you know, German abandoned buildings. Mm -hmm. Now you Mm -hmm. cannot tell me the Germans were not here. (laughs) A, right? So here I've, I've, I've shown presence. B- these buildings are still in tip-top shape a hundred years, over a hundred years later, Mm -hmm. they didn't, they planned to stay. So Mm -hmm. be, you know, and then, you know, you think about the resistance that was happening from the moment they came and it's like, so how did they manage to erect these buildings with this, with whilst everyone is rebelling? Like who, who, you know, so it's like it answers so many questions. So now I always feel like if you're going to rename this street to something right now, while mm-hmm. these other questions are not even brought forward or these like, like what? Like Germany is not there yet. And this skipping, mm-hmm. it's leapfrogging, you know, mm-hmm. it's looking to what's going on in England, what's going on in the U.S. and mm-hmm. being like, oh, us too. No, you're not mm-hmm. there yet. So <laughs>
0: it's very annoying (laughs) they're different this it's like a different world but then I I don't want to diminish or minimize the the violence of racism and colonialism in the UK and US like but sometimes I catch myself looking at the UK or US and of course not it's not necessary to what I'm projecting onto it when I look at these countries but sometimes as a when I was a teenager, I thought, oh my gosh, I want to live there because I imagine it as countries that have um, a larger black presence and, you know, less racism, but that's not true. <laughs> like, I know now as an adult, but I've, at the same time, I feel what you were saying too, and I don't want to conflate these things. So Yeah, I didn't no, of to.
2: course, yes, no, but then here's the difference, right? And the United States and the and UK, there's, they, they even have language. You know, they have language. Mm Like you understand what a microaggression looks like in the workplace (laughs) when you're a racialized person. Mm -hmm. In Germany, none of that exists. True. Honest like to local context, to just every day walking out of those it doesn't exist. Those, like Mm we, they haven't even understood microaggression. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I'm saying. So I'm not comparing, I'm just saying that. And you know, when you're seeing the ugly, the ugly in the US and the UK, it's like, yes, but it's like, but Mm -hmm. it's known what we're fighting for Mm -hmm. and we're fighting white supremacy. Mm -hmm. But when Mm -hmm. in a context where you like, even white supremacy is like, huh? <laughs> yeah, Germany? <laughs> yeah, here?
0: Mm. Yeah. A very problematic and perverse aspect of the payments that are being offered to the Namibian government is that they are tied to specific indications of how they should be spent. They are basically set up as development aid. And a part of this money is intended to go into land reforms, not only is the idea of reparations as aid very patronizing, but it becomes more troublesome when these are indirectly linked to decisions over land. That's why I asked Zoe if she could explain how this is connected to the history of German settler colonialism.
1: Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah, I can. Yeah, I think I think that this attempt to 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 basically disguise payments as aid. So it's like there's a big number that everyone was fighting and everyone was like, it's going to be like 1.2 billion euros. It's wonderful, but it's Mm -hmm. 1.2 billion euros to be paid over 30 years, which basically adds up or, or kind of calculates out to the same amount of annual development aid that Germany has given Namibia since independence about 30 years ago. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that the money is going to go into land reform because land reform is about ensuring that Namibian people, um, are the owners of the means of their own agricultural and whatever other production. Um, land reform mm-hmm. would demand Germany to recognize that there are a number of German citizens, because a lot of the German-speaking Namibians have dual citizenship. Um, mm-hmm. There are a number of like German-speaking Namibians who own, you know, in total, still own the majority of agricultural land in Namibia. And so reparations would require some understanding of land reform and would require um, an audit and, an, and some kind of land redistribution program because um, I was in a clubhouse once and an Oberherero person was describing how Oberherero and Nama people, if they want to bury their family members on old ancestral land where like other family members have been buried, they sometimes have to ask the German or the German-speaking Namibian owners of the land if they're allowed to have the burial. Um, and obviously, sometimes people say no. So I, I think that a big problem with this bilateral um, negotiation, as opposed to engaging with the um, affected communities themselves, is that there is a continuation of imperial dispossession um, in the present that began when Germany started colonizing in 1884. And what I mean by that is basically mm-hmm. after Germany lost their colonies, uh, so German had its, Germany had its Namibian colony, uh, was it 1884 to the end of World War One, So like 1915 is when British South Africa annexed it. And then after, you know, it, when it was annexed, it became a part of South Africa. So then after German colonialism, there was apartheid. Um, mm-hmm. And then after apartheid, there is this independent Namibian state, but the Namibian state or any nation state you know, was only able to exist through the active disenfranchisement and dispossession of indigenous people. And so the issues of land and, and resources and access to homelands and homelands, develop, homelands being developed continue to be an issue um, in present-day post-colonial, quote-unquote, independent Namibia in, in comparable ways that they were in, under apartheid and in comparable ways that they were during uh, German imperialism. Um, and so this is what I'm talking about with like Germany's desire to excise Nazism from German history, right? Is that they can just address Nazism on its own terms and not have to think about how Nazism um, was born out of German colonialism um, mm-hmm. and not have to think about how German imperialism has shaped so many present day structures and um, but instead of doing all of that because they simply want to retain whatever relationship with Namibia that they have, um, because they think that aid is some kind of kind, altruistic gesture of support. Um, what they're doing is like, this is the money, this, this, this good money that we're giving out of the bottom of our heart and hoping that no one will do the calculations and realize that they're just promising to do development aid. And one of the things that I saw in a kind of budget breakdown is that there was a chunk of money that was going towards the um, establishment of some kind of organization or agency around German and Namibian reconciliation, which is mm-hmm. wild to me because how are you mm-hmm. I already pushing for reconciliation with a group of people who have not even accepted your apology? So, you know, Kathleen was talking about Germany's attempt to skip steps with changing, uh, or not Germany, but, but folks' with attempts to kind of, you know, change names and this act of decolonization, which is really tipping steps because you cannot kind of change something for the better without a real Mm -hmm. understanding of what is being changed and why it needed to be changed. You cannot skip towards reconciliation if an aggrieved party has not even accepted the conditions of your apology. And I think what's really important is that Indigenous people should be able to refuse um, the, the 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 grounds of apology if they're not dignified, if they're not um, honoring, uh, you know, in this, the movements that uh, and and the and the demands that people have been making, and this idea that because Germany is willing to throw a little bit of crumbs and to finally call something a genocide, who cares if you if you're calling something a genocide if you're refusing to send back the bones of the people who were murdered? Who cares if you're willing to make lip service to the fact that you've done something horrible if you're completely unwilling to actually do anything that the community is asking you to do in order to make amends. Um, You know, I think the foundation of it is is really broken, but I'd be really interested to hear, like, from the the kind of East African side. Mm -hmm.
2: A lot of the issues is, I think, it's this lack of these voices being in the room, right? Even Mm -hmm. when we speak about the Ovarero and Nama and to even accept this reality, you know? Because for me, being a Tanzanian who's interested in German colonialism, I am so alone. Mm -hmm. I do not know anyone else in my generation who has this Mm -hmm. interest or is even thinking about this. But then I see, I see like i look at the tanzanian government right now as in it's it's like the exact same it's almost akin to a colonial administration it is mm-hmm. and so like this dance of them being in bed with our governments is this is like that diplomatic dance of like avoiding it avoiding the question and just making and and seeming like they're they're working towards it and not. And it's, and it's, and it's sad and dangerous because then n- nothing happens. Like, you know, the over, Herrera and Nama want a conversation, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they want a conversation and they have exactly how they want the conversation to go. You need to apologize. Mm-hmm. You need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And instead, Germany uses that same colonial way of how, you know, there's always, like, an overseer of sorts. Let's say if we think about it in the plantation, you know, like, it when it came to, like, colonialism, the Germans or colonialists would hire a different group mm-hmm. to oversee between with the laborers, and that was to, like, um it's, it's a form of, like, you put the blame on someone else, right? Mm-hmm. So... In this instance, the Naaman over are going to put the blame on their government because the government isn't presenting them. But then Germany knows exactly what it's doing. It's mm-hmm. doing the exact same thing of like bringing more dispossession, bringing more displacement, and bringing more tension between these two groups. And, you know, that's like how, you know, like, I don't know how to put it, but it's like, it's how like the colonialists played groups against each other. So in this instance, you're seeing them using it diplomatically by... Um, paternally giving it to the government and ignoring these communities who are actually very organized and very mm-hmm. vocal and they exist. So it's, I mean, it's a game. It's a game. And I don't know who, need, like, I'm tired of calling it out. It's, it's, um, it's, um, it's exasperating. Mm-hmm. It's super exasperating, especially you know as an I'm an individual, and so even mm-hmm. even the space to have this conversation of like German colonial entanglements and how they are still coming up today it's it's like I don't know like i wanna like i wanna go into it more later on as we continue to speak because mm-hmm. I'd like to like bring parallels to what's happening in Tanzania right now, mm-hmm. like concurrently mm-hmm. in terms of. You know, the colonial baggage or hangover that still exists till today when it comes to like our nation states and how they oppress mm. and uh, oppress and pillage from the same people in the exact same manner. True,
0: this is like listening to both of you, it just made me. I know, I, I know, um. We all know that racism or colonialism is very violent, but the extent and the depth of this violence is really, um, really, yeah, extreme. Because um, when you describe that you were just so Tanzanian person or you don't know anybody else who deals or works in this type of field or researches in this type of you know, field, um, I was thinking how about how unfair it is just to see like one person who has to deal with the power of the whole institution. For example, this is so unfair. Whereas other maybe some other groups or people have like um, yeah, they have like an array of teams. You know, they have way much. They have way more money, capacities,
2: and even 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 not. Let's 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 Mm -hmm. let's put for instance like the the ovarero and the Nama, like right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. they there there's more than one, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and yeah, yeah. and but
2: look at what is going on with they're being ignored.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They're being silenced. And Germany is using their own government to do this. Mm-hmm. So you know it so, like the question
1: is like what is the what is the function of the nation state as mm-hmm. the arbiter of memory? Mm-hmm.
2: I think in this instance it's the nation state will adopt what works for it when it works for it. So for instance right now in Tanzania we're asking for constitutional reform.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's we we went through Magufuli who who was a dictator and we've ushered it, this woman president. And, you know, ever since she's taken power, people have started asking for a new constitution because we do not want the president to have absolute power. We've seen what it mm-hmm. happened, how it corrupts. We don't want to go back. We need to change this. And um, the sole person who's been fighting for this happens to be my uncle and is an opposition leader. And mm-hmm. he was... On Wednesday or two days ago, he was secretly taken to a court and charged as a terrorist. Right? What? So, and secretly thrown in jail. As the family members didn't know, they lied they were taking him to the hospital. They didn't. They took him to court. Now, speaking to my cousin, I was like, should we write an opinion piece? We need to get the world's attention. And she was like, I think you're pushing me back. And she was like, you know what? You know, the problem is we didn't fight for independence. You know, we're a passive people. Mm -hmm. And right then and there, I was like, okay, this is why I, you know, this is when you see, like like this idea, this identity, like when you embrace these memories, I'm seeing how like the current CCM government is benefiting from the erasure of memory of resistance. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So I had to tell my cousin, I was like, no, 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 (laughs) no, no. Like, you know, Berlin Conference was 1884, 1888, there was already resistance. We have Mm -hmm. resisted. And now I understand why these memories are even erased, you know, because you, you see how it works, like, So she's like, oh, we didn't fight for independence. And I'm like, you know, both my grandparents were like very, very vocal liberation fighters in the 60s and 50s. Mm -hmm. And there was bloodshed, but it was, it's like the narrative that takes over of like, it was a peace, like Tanzania became this, it was a peaceful ushering of independence from the British. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the truth is we're a Mm protectorate, we were never a settler, a colony for the British. Had we been had we been like Kenya or Zimbabwe, then you'd see the same kind of um, backlash. But already, like this was just a token land that german that the British um, inherited from the Germans. But then it's this narrative of like, Oh, us Tanzanians are meek. Us Tanzanians will never, will never. And and it, it's these stories you tell yourself. So now mm-hmm. I was thinking, I was like, oh wow, now I see how this operates. Because you know, you wonder like, who does this benefit? Like mm-hmm. not to have this history of resistance or have it in mm-hmm. your DNA to know. And 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 you look at it now, and it's like, mm-hmm. and I'm like, uh, you know, it's 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 a thing that. I don't know if I'm wild, but I'm so on it. I'm like, I understand how they've taken this, like, they, like even the Tanzanian state doesn't want to look back into this because it will awaken. Like mm-hmm. right now, if like every Tanzanian was to just know of the 1888 Abushiri Coastal Resistance, it will change the way people feel of helplessness. To understand mm-hmm. that we have from the beginning been fighting against oppressors, no matter what they looked like, no matter what forces they had, right? But when mm-hmm. you take away that memory, <laughs> It's, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't want to say it's hopeless, but it's like, that's, that's like my thinking. It's demoralizing. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone who should know is telling you, you know, we have a very peaceful history. And it's like, no, 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 it's not. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't say that of a country that had like World War One for four full years. Like, no, there's no peace there. Or, you know, the Majimaji rebellion war, however. Like, you know, when you remove these stories of resistance, you... Uh, you remove the agency as well. And and in that context, you, I can directly see what's happening in the whole making of the Tanzanian nation-state and where we are today, right now.
0: In their work, both Kathleen and Zoe deal with spaces and conditions of Black resistance in history. I wondered what Kathleen thought about the unfolding and rise of Black resistance in the context of German oppression and colonization. To me, the connection between blackness and resistance is fundamental.
2: Um, I, you know, I've been, for the last five years, like just um, trying to figure out what happened in German East Africa during the World War I years. Mm-hmm. And what I found very interesting is um, a lot of the sites of the first world war that the Germans took against the British were sites of indigenous resistance. So in that sense, I mean, the Germans co-opted native military intelligence. So they took Mm -hmm. over the same lookout posts. So in that instance, you see that a lot, like the same places that the rebellion was high is where a lot of the world war 1 fighting took place and in 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 mm-hmm. a very specific place in Tanzania the it's Asmtoara it's region and the Asmtoara region is for me an interesting case study because it, that's where like a lot of the largest resistance was from the advent of Germans coming to to the I don't even know how to refer to where I'm from before the Germans came. <laughs>
1: the Germans, prior to Germany, East
2: Africa. Prior yeah. to Germany, East Africa. And so, but the, so this group in Tuara is where also the Makonde people live. And the Makonde people, at the time when the Germans came, they had managed to avoid slavery because they they um, tattooed their faces. They mm-hmm. What's the term? um they adopted scarification and mm-hmm. with that they managed to preserve themselves and keep themselves from being traded right from being slaves and being traded across on slave routes but then that is resistance right mm-hmm. and this same place during world war 1 during like every every foreign and any how do I put it? Any form of oppression, this group in Tanzania has always been at the forefront. And even recently, you see that they found oil off the coast of Mtwara, and there was a huge backlash where they actually, um, the Tanzanian government set police because the people protested. But then- mm-hmm. It's the language that takes of these places that are still resisting till this day. They're always looked mm. at as backwards, mm-hmm. as in as in they are so primitive, they don't know what's good for them. So mm-hmm. you see the exact same language that the colonialists used to to justify expansion and to, you know, to make us a better race and to make us more productive, you see the nation state using it and using state power against these people. And mm-hmm. and it's so evident because this same area and that kind of resistance can go into today. I don't know if you know what's going on in Mozambique, but there's like, it, it, there's like, there's... There's a war, there's jihadists, but there are mm-hmm. also people from this same area. So it's that form of resistance when they start resisting against their own government because they're not giving, they're not, they're not providing for them. Instead, they're mm-hmm. like, they're still, like, they're still, I'm hoping I'm making sense. They're still taking, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like you see the and you see this group in Mat- mm-hmm. Mtuara, which is like pre-colonial, colonial time Mm post-colonial still resisting and the way we talk about them instead of them being like the model the model region in the country when it comes to fighting against oppression and big oil big Monsanto is they Mm -hmm. they become they are seen they're villainized because Mm -hmm. it doesn't serve the state and and I think you know, some people might think it's a stretch for me to connect it to colonialism, but it's for mm-hmm. me it's just, it becomes so evident. It, it becomes so evident. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense.
0: I don't think it's a stretch when you're, um, like just from my opinion, when you're connecting um, the way, the resistance of these indigenous groups and um, like the Makonde people um, and the presence and uh, I don't know if I... Am I framing it mm-hmm. in a good way? Uh, but the the role of the government, um, I mean there are these colonial continuities. I see it also in other African countries where um like where my parents are from, where there are certain indigenous groups, minority groups um, that are oppressed um economically, culturally, by the state. Um that is compromised of other groups, and the way people look at these indigenous groups, it's always from this um, lens. From yeah, from this yeah, that it's also always from this yeah, from this arrogant white gaze in a way, like or internalized, or like you know fragments of it are still internalized, and I think they do exist uh, in in a lot of states and especially in the government um, because they look at them as less civilized, less. Um, mm-hmm. and, Less, um, yeah, they, they, the way they're dis- described a lot of times are so problematic and and also racist. And when I think about how oftentimes indigenous groups or people that have like um, a nomadic lifestyle, for example, in comparison to other groups in African countries, they are oftentimes used as like tourists. Um, attractions in a way, you know, there are some parallels. Mm-hmm. I see them. Um, like the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, like the sun, for example, or even when I went to the Masai, um, Eritre- Yes. And uh, um, when I also went to Eritrea in 2010, I remember I went to like um, an exhibition, a human, like they, it was a festival where they tried to show younger Eritreans, like they are they wanted to show diaspora people um traditional cultural <laughs> i don't know practices but in reality i just i saw people in their traditional dress and i felt like this is not right because this in a way it reminds me of menschen zoos in germany like the human zoos that we have mm-hmm. in that you know in germany and i see a lot of these points and parallels when you uh, started to talk about the state of the Makonde people and the colonial continuities that we have in the nation state. So I totally agree with you. I don't think it was a stretch. In our preliminary talk, Zoe taught me about the Tuskegee Institute and its links to cotton production and the German colonization of Cameroon. Because I'm interested in colonialism and its transnational forms and as a continuing network of power, I wondered what Zoe could tell us about this very important part of history.
1: Yeah. Um, For me, one of the most annoying parts of, like, discourse about Nazism, and I think that people do this, I think, in order to emphasize that The United States is this global hegemony, Mm -hmm. da-da-da-da-da. And so what they do is they're just like, ah, but you know, the United States taught Nazis how to Nazi, taught Germany how to do all of the genocidal things that it's done because of what they had done to indigenous people and enslavement and all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really dangerous way of understanding history because all that does is not only kind of emphasizes German exceptionalism and thinking about the, the Nazism as this break from German, normal kind of German history, but it also emphasizes American exceptionalism. And it sees the United States as this kind of like genocidal mastermind that is puppeteering geopolitics around the world. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen Raoul Peck's um, Exterminate All the Brutes, but saw that's yeah. kind of what he does a little bit. Um, it's like, Germany looked to the West in order to have a model for what it did to the Ova and the Nama. And I think that that's a really, it's an overly uncomplicated way of understanding it. What I do think is an incredibly important thing to understand is the way that all of these different imperial powers were exchanging um and absorbing different kinds of colonial technologies. Um uh, modes of governance, um, agricultural production, um, it's not that like one, a single country was responsible for exporting it to the, to the rest of the world. It's that there's mm-hmm. this inter imperial both exchange and interaction and also competition. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the relationship between, uh, imperial Germany and the United States, it's less that there's this like, paternalistic America being like, here, let us show you how to do all of these things. Because if we remember, Germany is actually kind of a leader in, in, in sciences and philosophies mm-hmm. um, in like the 19th and 18th centuries. Mm-hmm. What happened instead is Germany saw the United States as a fellow imperial power. Mm-hmm. And so as a fellow imperial power, you know, they looked to the ways that the United States was maximizing agricultural production. And so what happened was they sought to do in West African colonies what the United States was doing in the South as far as sharecropping and these kind of plantation models. Mm -hmm. And so um, the Tuskegee Institute, which we know was created by Booker T. Washington at the very beginning of the 20th century, sent an expedition to um, Togo in order to kind of trans, agriculturally transform the region in the way similar to the American South. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see these, 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 these technological linkages, these imperial, uh, rationales, um, that at no point put Germany on this like special path of development, mm-hmm. but rather, um, absorbs all of the different ideas, um, and, and 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 molds of colonial management in order to do what makes the most sense for its own empire. Um, you even see at one point in the kind of inter-imperial conversation that there are a series of exchanges between the German Empire and the British Empire. The mm-hmm. British Empire wrote this blue book, which is basically um, this kind of first-hand account of the German genocide of the overhero and Nama and also what they do to the sun, mm-hmm. And they use these details, these firsthand accounts, as justification to take Germany's colonies away because no civilized colonial power can do the things that Germany did. Imagine. Germany writes, imagine, right? Germany now writes a book in response. It's called the White Book. And in mm-hmm. the White Book, Germany basically says, what we did is no different from what everyone else in Europe is doing. Mm-hmm. And so because what we did is not exceptional, there's no reason for us to not be able to have colonies. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently this was incredibly embarrassing <laughs> to everyone um, in England, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Because ha- they have there's absolutely no moral authority to say that Germany True. cannot do a genocide because the British had just put wars um you know, like Afrikaner civilians yeah. into concentration camps and killed mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people as well as, um, native Africans who were living there. And they'd also been enslaved in those camps. So at the end of the day, I mean, obviously we know the story, right? After World War One, Germany gets all of its colonies seized. Mm-hmm. Um, and its tenure as a colonial power, which was significantly shorter than everyone else's, comes to an, um, a kind of formal end. Um, but there are all of these really, powerful international resonances. And like Kathleen was saying, you know, it is these 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 areas of high anti colonial resistance that become the hotspots for battles um, in world wars. Um, so it's this, this idea that there's simply these empires existing kind of in isolation and doing their violences in isolation. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they propped up each other when it became inconvenient for there to be competition, as in Southern Africa where there would have been competition between the Germans and the British in South Africa, they took people's empires away and yeah. expanded their own. You know, it's this, it's this dynamic ecosystem of interaction rather than these kind of silos within yeah. which all of these different violences and these specific nation-based violences are taking place. That's not the case at all.
0: True. And also, like, I really like how you commented on the idea, like, indirectly, when you talk about the Blue Book and the White Book, how the British saw themselves, like, as benevolent rulers in a way, or not -hmm. as bad, in, in quotation marks, as the Germans, where I'm like, hmm, it all depends on place, space, and time, because... When the British were condemning the Germans for the genocide, I mean, didn't the British people do the same? Uh, when we look at the transatlantic slave trade, um, I think it's always interesting when it comes to like narratives around colonialism and enslavement. I always see like European powers depicting themselves as the more benevolent ruler in a way, and I'm like, no. Um,
1: from a perspective and you of have something that's especially perverse, so. You know, Raphael Lemkin, the person who invented the term genocide, he even mm-hmm. perpetuates the same idea when he's writing about the Ovahero and Nama genocide, and even also when he writes about what the Belgians did in the Congo. He basically mm-hmm. is saying um, the reason that German colonial rule in Southern Africa was a problem was because they didn't do indirect rule as the British did. The problem was that mm-hmm. they chose to do settler colonization, which produced these violences. But then he also engages in genocide denial by basically saying that the Ovaherero were basically were just so distraught that the cattle died from from rinderpest at the end of the twentieth century, and that they lost mm-hmm. their colonies, um, or end of the nineteenth century. Sorry, that they and they lost their their land, that they committed race suicide. So even mm-hmm with the people who are supposed to inhabit this position of moral authority, including the person who is literally championing for genocide to be a crime, there's still this investment in the nation-state. There's still this investment in the idea of domination and of empire. Um, and, in, and, and in all of this, the marginalized people are completely absent in this writing of history, of their own history and experiences. One of our
0: last guests, he said something very interesting because he was like, yeah, we are here to... Like, he didn't say it word for word, but it was more like, yeah, we we are here left to fill in the gaps and the blanks, but um, also we are tired because this work should have been done before. Why are, we, why are we in 2021 still at this point? You know what I mean? It's so... Yeah, it's really, like, it's sad, you a sad realization that I have every day, <laughs> um, but I think not talking about it makes it even worse because that's. I think sometimes not talking about these things and not researching, not investing um, my time and energy into these things um, is also something that that the, the powers that like, I don't want to say the powers that be, yes. but like mm-hmm. like but the but racism wants also, you know, just mm-hmm. erasure and. And forgetting these also like, I mean, traumatizing, but also powerful histories. And also like Kathleen said before that we that that there was always resistance and people never stopped resisting. Um, mm-hmm. Although the dominant narrative
2: mm-hmm. likes to gloss over that. Um and and then you see like why it does that when you see the function of that glossing over mm-hmm. and like just ignoring it you're like wow if you tell you you tell yourself enough you start believing it
1: mm-hmm. and so
2: you start believing it and so and you become passive and <laughs> it's 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 sad but um yeah you know I think that in terms of like you know. Of like colonialists passing the buck here and left. One thing I found interesting, like during like, there's this town in southern Tanzania called Peramijo. And it's in Songe region. And this is the Southern Highlands where most of the Maji Maji happened and World War One happened. And mm-hmm. this this old um, it's I guess it's like a church community, it's like a Lutheran church community. Actually, it's Catholic, but they have archives and they have archives from during the war years. And what was so interesting is you had the you have archives of like the British, um, the Anglicans Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, as soon as the British make way from the Congo, this is during World War One we are going to inherit their congregation. Like there was so much competition. Even the churches were like, wow, Wow. we're about to inherit this congregation. Wow. Yes. (laughs) And you're like, oh, because, you know, there's always this case of like, oh, leave the missionaries out of them. They're doing the Lord's work. But you, you you see them actually taunting each other of like oh we're we're about to take over your congregation and you're like you know it, it's it's this idea of like wow you're just a game like you were you, you know it's this thing like you're just a what is it a toy a game an object to mm-hmm. and and it becomes it's so real when concept. you. Yes, for conquest, when even the churches are even like, I can't wait till the British garrison get in because your congregation is mine next week.
1: Imagine. <laughs> and it's just like, even if you do believe in, in God and Christianity and you, you think about this as, as the, the missionary work as being genuine, it's just like, these are supposed to be people of God and they're literally talking about souls, like just something you can collect.
2: And report on the saviorification that you've done.
0: Thank you so much, Kathleen. Thank you again, Zoe, for the interview today. We learned so much. I wanted to thank both of you um, for taking your time to um, sit with us and explain the very powerful, layered, but also like violent histories of German colonialism and its effects in Namibia um, and East Africa. And um, yeah, I just want to say thank you very much.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you for the invitation. You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs)
0: This episode is a production of the Humboldt Forum 2021. We want to thank you,
1: our listener, and our curatorial team, Julia Richard and Michael Dieminger.